Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Way of the Leader. <clears throat> In today's episode, we're going through the 10 things that you can do to make sure that you're emotionally regulated. So I've talked about this before on this particular show um, in much less depth. And so here's the, the concept that here at Way of the Leader, we do believe that people need to learn social and emotional regulation. So the very simple concept is that when you are unregulated, you start to make poor decisions, poor judgments, which affects your relationships, your productivity, all manner of things that actually comes down to this is not what you want. In order to combat this, I propose what I call the 10 harmonies. And these are the 10 things that you can do. So the 10 harmonies is that you live in a physical body that needs certain um, nutrition, shall we say. And taking that into account, we need to then feed it said nutrition in order to perform optimally. Now, when I say optimally, I don't mean that we're optimizing like a athlete would. What I mean rather is that coming from a place when most people uh, are just barely able, uh, being able to survive, we want to create um, someone who is capable of not just surviving, but thriving. And so instead of optimizing, potentially saying the word blooming, blossoming, uh, becoming who they are meant to be, not being constrained by past conditioning is a great way to think about it. And so with that, I give you the 10 harmonies. So in this episode, we're just going to go through them all very quickly, very subtly. It's just meant to spark a little bit of interest. And in the following um, 10 episodes to come, I'll go into a deep dive into each one of them and why I've chosen them. The rationale for all of these things is not just based on a whim as well. The rationale is based on what evidence do we have to support that the human body operates like this also. And perhaps also talking about why these um, are chosen and why not others. So five of them are related to the physical body and five of them are related to, let's say, psychology. And in saying that, um, there is also one other that I've excluded and I'll, I'll talk to that in this episode as well. All right. So without further ado, uh, they are in no particular order. Sleep, nutrition, movement, breathing, stillness. These are the five that affect the, the physical body. Sleep, nutrition, movement, breathing, and stillness. Um, the five that affect uh, the psychology are going to be social, emotional, cognitive, agency, and legacy. Okay. So I'll say there's again, social, emotional, cognitive, agency, and legacy. Now, within each one of them, the reason why we've chosen these levers is because of this concept of um, working memory overwhelm. So if I asked you to count to uh, a million, you could easily do it. Now, if I asked you to remember 10 numbers randomly, you may not be able to do that. Now, why is that? Our brain has a working manager called the working memory. And when the working memory gets overwhelmed, it's, it's quite peculiar because it doesn't just stop working at a certain point, right? So, you know, we've all heard that stat that our brain can remember or hold three to seven pieces of information at any one time, three to seven chunks of information. And this is true. And depending on uh, how experienced you are with that particular thing, you might be able to remember bigger chunks or smaller chunks or whatever the case is, but you're still limited, okay, to let's say seven things. So if I ask you to remember numbers, if you're not particularly good with numbers, 
you'll go lower. If you're particularly good with numbers, you'll go higher, but we'll be able to reach a threshold. So if I ask you to remember a number like, you know, 7758, okay, cool. Most people can do that because that's four numbers. But as soon as I start to hit, let's say, seven to 11 numbers, most people that I've ever tested using this method completely fall apart. And so what happens is we climb the ranks. Like I give you a four-digit number, you repeat it back to me. I give you a five-digit number, you repeat it back to me. A six-digit number, you repeat it back to me. A seven-digit number, okay, a little bit of focus, you repeat it back to me. But when we start hitting your threshold, let's say it's an eight-digit number, you don't just repeat seven digits and mess up on the eighth digit. Literally, you might get one or two digits and everything else is a scrambled mess. So that means once we've hit your threshold, we lose all all manner of productivity and focus. We lose all manner of results. And that is something worth avoiding, especially in leadership. That's going to make decision. That affects a lot of people. And that's what the way the leader is about, is making sure that leadership is supported first in themselves and then externally with their skills towards their teams. For you to be a leader, you deserve to be a better leader to have the skills to be able to lead yourself first and then lead others. So even if you're not quite a leader yet, I would argue that I would say that you're already a leader in certain circumstances, but not perhaps the circumstances that you want to be or that you're being called to. But everybody is a leader because it's innate inside humans to organize ourselves according to social groups and position ourselves as either leader or part of the group. I don't want to say the word follower because there is a stigma attached to it, but ultimately there's nothing wrong with being part of a group, you know, and looking to someone else to lead because maybe you just don't care enough to lead. You know, this isn't really your thing. Okay, that's fine. You can lead. Think about family events, you know, I've talked about this before, Uh, planning a holiday, you know, I'll let my wife lead. Why? because I don't really care enough about planning. I'm very much like a go with the flow type of person and I can roll with all the punches and I I don't need much. So she's the one who takes the lead on those types of things and I'll follow her lead. I'll absolutely support her and give her everything that she needs so that she can have that successful holiday as well. And that's leading and following and we'll shift around and change according to what our needs are. Um, And that's true for all humans. So let's go back quickly to the physical ones. So consider if you don't get the right amount of sleep or you're getting poor sleep, how much that affects working memory, how much that affects your feelings of overwhelm and stress. Everybody's patient if they've had enough sleep and enough rest. But as soon as we start starving people of rest, patience goes out the window. So to say that patience is a trait or a virtue, it's not necessarily true. It is literally a physical condition that can be tied to sleep, number one. But number two, is it also a skill that can be practiced? And that skill is usually through empathy and compassion. Like basically putting yourself in the other person's shoes can increase your patience for them also by understanding more. So again, it's raising up your knowledge of how people function. But that's later. So we'll start with sleep there. Nutrition is another one. Now, most people think that nutrition is a nice to have rather than a need to have. But the thing is, is that if you're eating, um, let's say, foods that disagree with you, I thankfully am privy to a lot of um, information about gut health because my wife obviously specializes in it. But I can't tell you the amount of people that I know, leadership included, and they're top performers, but their stomach is messed up 
And the amount of research that comes back that shows that there's a gut-brain um, connection, a very strong one. And more to the point, like even if even if you're you're saying, well, the gut and the brain don't necessarily affect each other, whatever you're taking in can create inflammation in your body, can create all manner of effect in your body. And knowing what the effects are of those things will actually help you make better decisions. So the concept is, is that nutrition can help you. But with regard to the 10 harmonies and making sure that you're not overwhelmed, there are foods to avoid, which can largely impact the brain and how the brain functions. And so that's what we're talking about. Just in the short term, there can be these foods. In the long term, there absolutely is also something to consider about health and wellness and the impact of your food on your health and how much bad health can compromise your decision-making and your overwhelm. Um, so for now, let's leave it there. Movement is a great one. And, you know, studies show that movement is the best medicine, you know, bar none for states like depression, um, anxiety, you know, creating a sense of uh, controlled stress resiliency, etc. So there's, there's a lot of emotional impacts on exercise. But apart from that, studies also show that you're going to behave optimally when you do, let's say, workouts in the morning and you get that blood flowing. Your brain needs oxygen. Great. So exercise to a degree. Can you imagine if you go into work after you've had like the most exhausting workout of your life and you, all you want to do is nap and eat and, and you have to work? No. So there's a certain ratio to this as well. That's why it's called the 10 harmonies. These things are things to harmonize with and find your own harmony with it. Um, but the, the again, the thing to say is that what we need to avoid is sitting and doing nothing. That's one thing that we can say is going to create more fragility. Like a person who never moves becomes much more sensitive to any uh, increase in heart rate, uh, any increase in blood pressure, and there's far there's far less resiliency to any types of high pressure high pressure stressful situations that can occur at work. Um, number four was breathing, and this one is quite interesting because it talks about ability to regulate your own nervous system. And so what I mean by that is most people breathe quite naturally, but the body is primed to breathe in stressful situations like running away from a tiger and how you would breathe there. Longer inhales, shorter exhales, and that hypes the body up. And most of the time, people don't do the the counterbalance to that, which is controlling their their inhale and having a longer exhale. And there's, there's a lot of studies around this about how um, placing attention to your breath work and your breathing rhythms rather than take a deep breath. It's not about one deep breath. It's about regular breath work, you know, like 10, 10 minutes at least where you're going into a rhythm. The idea behind this is that when you are stressed, basically your working memory, as I've explained before, uh, contracts, constricts just like uh, a pupil will when you shine light in it. And breathing like this allows it to relax. It allows it to dilate and open a lot more, and you're able to focus on a lot more as well. So breath work for focus. There's a lot of studies behind, um, let's say, a control group and two other study groups. And the control group did nothing for, for two minutes. One of the groups did box breathing. One of them did skewed resonance breath work, which is exhaling longer than inhaling, just for two minutes as well. And apart from the breathwork 
groups reported feeling calm. So the feelings were, were there as well. The actual uh, skewed resonance breathing group did much better statistically on their results. And so it's this idea of apart from feeling better, you actually do perform better as well. Now, that's the breath work. The last one that affects the, the physical body is stillness. Now, I've said stillness here mindfully instead of meditation, for example, because there are some people like me, I'm a head type. I, you know, I'm way too much in my head and meditation actually makes me a lot, a lot more active. Whereas something like uh, sitting in a stretched position with my eyes closed and gently kind of moving around inside stretches, that really calms me down and it brings me to a place of stillness or just sitting down on a chair and allowing myself to look around and allowing myself to get bored, let's say for 15 minutes at a time, like imagining that I'm glued to a chair. That allows my mind to process everything for like the first, let's say two to five minutes. It'll say, I need to do this, I need to do this. And I create a a list of things to do in my head. But then I start noticing that my head just does that again and does that again and does that again. So I just say, okay, that's fine. I told you we're gonna do it. So now we've got nothing else to do. You can take a break. And that's when like some some good stillness, some good ideas come up or your thoughts go to something else instead. Uh, journaling, mindful journaling, anything really is considered to be um, a stillness practice. One of my favorites as well is stargazing, you know, making sure you're looking up at the sky. That's a, that's a wonderful way to do it as well. And the effect that that can have on, on your, uh, your mindset, you know, just taking a little bit of time to calm down. And what I mean by the calming down as well is calming down the mind. If it's journaling, you're capturing information. If you're start staring at the sky, um, you're engaging those optical nerves like Andrew Huberman talks about as well, you know, where you're widening your gaze, so to speak, and what effect that has on your brain too. So there's a lot in here, but the stillness one, the biggest one that that talks about is this ability for the human mind to reflect or to plan. So everybody's like, oh, you need to be in the moment. Well, the moment is one of three time zones that our brain is actually in. Most of the time, our brain is in that prepare mode. Let's plan for the future. Let me try and predict how much is going to come my way. And so getting out of that mode to reflect or getting out of that mode to be in a moment, that's what the stillness is all about. Okay, moving on to the psychological ones, we've got social, emotional, and cognitive. And this is based on the concept that all the research and the evidence suggests that our brain is primarily a social brain, right? Um, It's not a stretch to talk about uh, tribal behavior, to talk about uh, the fact that we are social animals, that we crave social um, interactions. And based on that, the social bias that we have means that that needs to be fed. And so the social part of it is all about managing relationships and how often we fail to manage relationships can impact our productivity. Or, um, for example, if we actually do well with our relationships, if we've got good relationships with our subordinates, uh, the people around us, they're much more likely to invest into us beyond what is the responsibility of that person according to the business. So if you are a good leader and you quit your job, chances are you can pull a lot of the subordinates with you to the next position, for example. Because they are that loyal, they will follow you. The next part is going to be the emotional part. And this is more about your emotional regulation as well. Within yourself, how you're feeling and being able to deal with those feelings. 
That means being able to unpack uh, unpack the past. That means being able to deal with any negative emotions that come up, as well as focus and cultivate the positive emotions that are meaningful to you. Now, for most humans, there is a template for this because all humans respond to good things and we move away from bad things. We don't necessarily like them and feeling bad. Um, So there are some templates here, but there are also very personalized things that you need to go through. The cognitive one is then interesting. So all of this is working on the basis of what is What are the biggest levers to pull when you are trying to manipulate working memory and open it up and stop it from closing down? And so cognitive is when we go directly into working memory and we talk about what are the perceptions that are there? How do you store and categorize information? So having a mental model. Now, I'm sure you've heard the word mental model so many times, and we'll talk about this when we get into the cognitive episode. But the main point of mental models is that you've got a framework of how something works in your mind. When information comes in your brain, you can attach it to that mental framework and say, oh, that's how it works. Rather than a random piece of information coming into your mind and your brain actually asking the question, what do I need to do with this? Because that clogs up the system first and foremost. It doesn't allow new information to come in. And number two, you spend so much time trying to sort that information that you become less productive anyway. You start to lose that edge. So in that sense, having cognitive mental models that allow your brain to actually perceive things in a certain way can stop a lot of um, emotional resistance too. So for example, if I expect people to behave in a certain way and actually it makes me smile, when they behave in that way, I will smile instead of getting upset, instead of uh, becoming angry. So that's the cognitive line. Now, the last two are a little bit more focused in on um, how humans function. Number one is agency, right? Well, it's technically number nine in the 10 harmonies, but the, f- the, the three that I talked about quickly, the social, emotional, and cognitive, are literally wired into the brain. Now, with agency, which is a separate thing, I would say that agency is a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of everything. Agency, the need to be able to control yourself and have control over your surroundings, influence over your surroundings. This is something that is very personal to each one of us. What we care about to manage or what we care about to be influenced on usually represents our childhood to us as well. It's enough to say that you know, suicides are always talked about in the sense of person didn't know what to do, but the last port of call that they had a control over themselves was suicide. And so they took it. And that, that should tell you something about how much control means to a person and how much when you take control away or their own agency, their own responsibility for themselves away, how much that can actually challenge human nature as well. And the last point is legacy. A legacy is a little bit longer. It's a harmony that works in the immediate, yes. So think about motivation. And if you've got meaning and purpose, if you know, if you're getting dialed in on a 10-year vision of what you want to create, 
then being productive today, if you're clear on how that's going to affect that 10-year future and you're very passionate about that 10-year future, your productivity is going to skyrocket because you're going to see yourself building and working towards a goal. If you don't have this dialed in, it is very difficult to stay persistent, consistent, motivated, and committed to a particular vision, especially you know if you don't see how it's going to benefit. You'll probably stop. And so having your vision of legacy dialed in is very important as well. And that also increases and influences the agency metric. That would also then give you motivation to regulate your emotional states, your uh, cognitive states, your social relationships too. So all of these work together. So these are the 10 harmonies. Now, I have excluded a couple of things here and a couple of things that have come to mind, which is things like, you know, contrasts, um, contrast therapy, which is jumping in a sauna, then jumping in a, in a, you know, an ice bath. Those two things, manipulating temperature absolutely does change your overwhelm status. It does affect you physically. Um, but those two things are also, you know, not available to everyone. So if you want to get dialed in on that, that's great. And they are largely subordinate to these other 10. The one thing that I would say I haven't mentioned that is incredibly impactful and not subordinate to any of these is nature. Nature. Getting out into nature, whether it be a park, if you're in a city, it is accessible to you. Whether it's you're, you're outside the city and you're in a garden, it is accessible to you. You know, and connecting with nature. So forest bathing is a great form of, um, you know, stress relief. So that's another one. The idea is that um, it's it's always there for you. And the, I didn't include it in here because it's not a skill to cultivate. It's not something that you need to learn about and you need to really work on. It's rather just remembering to go out into nature and how much that affects your peace of mind and, again, opens you up so that you're not overwhelmed or you don't feel overwhelmed, that you're able to handle more. So there are some people who just want to retreat to nature because they're so overwhelmed. But all of us have a ratio of which we need nature. We need to connect with nature. We need to walk around with our feet in the sand, our feet on grass. We need to see trees. We need to hear the wind. We need to um, you know, enjoy the sights and the smells of rain, of sunshine, you know, whatever it is that really makes you connect with nature. And that's the part that I'll leave you on for today is nature. When was the last time that you got out into nature? And what's your ratio that you need in order to feel like you're not overwhelmed? Is it you need to go into nature once a week, once a month? You know, how often is it before you feel you need to replenish your nature stores, so to speak? Uh, drop a comment below or um, reply to the email. And let me know what you think. I'd love to hear more. Um, if you're interested in this type of stuff, uh, please remember that there are going to be 10 more episodes deep diving into each of these categories, these harmonies, as I've said, that will be coming more. And uh, yes, feel free to spread the message. This is Way of the Leader, where we talk about leadership from a humane perspective. And a lot of that is going to be, yes, interviewing leaders and also talking about my thoughts on how we can manage overwhelm and harmonize ourselves as leaders, cultivating those skills so that we become better leaders, the, the leaders that the world deserves and the leaders that are effortless. All right. Well, if you've enjoyed it, let me know. And love you lots. We'll see you next time. Ciao, ciao.